When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Marcus, there's a sound that can be made with six strings and ten fingers. Mostly ten fingers. <laughs> and whatever else you use, any other implement, a pick or whatever. But when you hear it, you know it. And we're going to talk about the twang in rock and roll. The sound of 1959, if you will, on the imbalanced history of rock and roll. I'm Ray Coop. I'm Marcus Goldman, y'all. And this sound was in its first iteration, if you will, when I was a witty bitty baby. So I think it got encoded in me. So when I got older and I would hear it, it was always like Pavlovian, even, I guess, where I got this excited feeling. And it's really funny because you were born later, but when you heard that sound, when you were a little guy, it probably got you too. Oh, there's no doubt about it. I remember some of these songs from my younger years that we'll talk about. Elvis was always big in our home. There's so many people that we will be talking about with that twang and that early guitar sound that really shaped not only kids like you and I, but they shaped the sound of music as well. And it'll be fun to dive into all of this craziness associated with the twang. Well, you mentioned Elvis, and a guy who played with Elvis had another connection. And this twangy episode is sponsored by Boldfoot Socks at boldfoot.com. Your first purchase, you can save 15% by putting in history15 at boldfoot.com. And by Crooked Eye Brewery, right in the heart of Hatboro. Hey, we're moving Vinyl Night to the second Tuesday of every month. Something to do with the Monday holidays and all that. And that'll start in June. So just so folks know, Crooked Eye there in the heart of Hapro and in Montgomery County. They're over at the Raceway, which is crazy, I know. And at Jamie's House of Music in Delco as well. So we're off and twanging and running on an episode about the guitar in its most rudimentary sense. There wasn't a whole lot of effect being created. None of the crazy fuzz boxes and phasers that would come along later were made or used. It was really up to the player and the sound they wanted to evoke from their guitar. Now, in an episode that'll take us all over the rock and roll road with amazing sounds, it might seem kind of counterintuitive to start with television and the Ozzy and Harriet show, but that's kind of where one of the great associations in early rock and roll starts as a young Rick Nelson kind of sits on his bed in his room and trades little acoustic riffs with his friend James Burton on guitar. 
Watching that video on YouTube, I was blown away. These guys were just sitting on the bed all casual and just like it was it was so beautiful to hear them play and innocent innocent yes but when you listen to it ray the sound sounds like it's ahead of its time because of even though it's acoustic right Yeah. yeah Before he hooked up with Rick, James Burton was on the Louisiana Hayride as a teenager. Remember us uh, talking about all the people in the South who could hear that show in different places all over? Well, he was on it. That's how good James Burton was. And he plays with Rick Nelson, and we were talking about Hello, Mary Lou, and how he really added the chunk and the twang to that song, right? Indeed. And I was listening to it, and that guitar solo that he laid down was beautiful. Then I had this moment where I was like, that's the same guitar style on Take Me Home Country Roads, John Denver, which he also played with later in his career. And I was like, oh, my God, where have I heard that sound? Where have I heard that sound? I was like, take me home. And it just popped into my head. And I was like, oh, my God, that's it. Almost heaven, West Virginia. Blue Ridge Mountains, Shenandoah River. Life is older, older than the trees, younger than the mountains, growing like a breeze. Country roads take me home to the place. Mountain Mama, take me home, country road. 
Isn't that something? When we do this podcast, you can never predict that that will happen. But it does. Oh, by the way, in between Rick Nelson and John Denver, he did a little stint with a guy named Elvis Presley. You might have heard of him. It was the big comeback for Elvis. So he got a lot of profile out of that. People started to know who James Burton was. He played with Merle Haggard. He played with Graham Parsons and Rodney Kroll and Emmylou Harris. And then, beginning with 1986's King of America, Burton recorded and toured with the other Elvis, Elvis Costello, intermittently for about a decade. Wow, what a resume! I know! He's one of those guys that people don't know as much about, but he's right in the thick of it, and he's that person who silently is influencing the sound without making a lot of noise himself as a person. The essence of the Wrecking Crew, really, when you think about it. Truly. And seriously, looking at his resume as we're learning about it and who he's played with, I was just blown away because I remember hearing Nicolette Larson's cover of Neil Young's Lot of Love as a kid and going, wow. And so many other songs that he's been a part of that Merle Haggard, my dad was a big fan of Merle Haggard, so we had Merle Haggard on cassette all the time. And his guitar was there. He'll be 83 in August. He's still with us. James Edward Burton, born in Louisiana, and a gift to the world of rock and roll and everything else you can think of. What a great guy, too, man. Just to have him as a representative of all the areas of rock and roll. No kidding. And having Jerry Lee Lewis also on his resume. Huge. We're talking about the Ravers on this episode of The Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. When he came around... Dickie Dale was considered to be the kid, but he was the kid who changed the game. Miserloo, right? Pipeline, Nitro, one after another, these trademark riffs, all put together in a attacking the bonsai pipeline kind of surfing kind of way, right? Yes, the uh, pioneer of surf music, and I always associated Dick Dale alongside the Beach Boys and Jan and Dean because it seems like they pulled a lot of their early sound from his influence. They all came around and became a big deal initially around the same time, and that'll do that. It does cause association in your head, not only for the time, but for all time. And Mr. Dale passed away a couple years ago at age 81. Thanks, Dickie Dale, for everything you did for rock and roll. And the next raver we get to discuss, Ray, his story is a little sad. His life was short, but boy, did he make some beautiful sounds. I'm talking about Johnny Burnett and his rock and roll trio. Well, there is much to discuss, my brother. (laughs) First things first, too young, age 30, he passed in a boating accident. Live fast, die young, I guess. And his son, Rocky Burnett, has had a big impact and continues the Burnett family tradition of great rock and roll. Coming out of the 50s, though, they were hot, man. 
You see the video of them on television where they're doing train kept a rolling. You're wondering where that came from, right? That's a tradition that starts with guys like him because it influences like Aerosmith and the Yardbirds directly. They all love it. I called a train. I met a dame. She was a helpful and a real John dame. She was pretty from New York City. And we trucked on down that old fair lane with a heave and a hoe. Betty Page, the great Betty Page, dancing on stage on film, kind of almost like oddly inserted into the clip that I saw. You're 16, which was uh, an element that I want to discuss with you as well. It was the big initial hit for that song. And there he is, Johnny Burnett, singing it. And it occurred to me, and maybe you've had this thought too, that while we're talking about a lot of guys with a lot of twang in some of their songs, almost all of them, I won't say all, but almost all of them, had what you would call a more straightforward 50s traditional rock and roll sound to at least some, if not most, of their music, which is why we're kind of picking this part out, right? Mm-hmm. And that style had a little edge to it. Johnny Burnett and the Rock and Roll Trio were definitely edgy for that time. The Train Kept a Rollin' was a cover song, and it had some pretty heavy innuendo. And Indeed. And it was definitely considered lyrically edgy for that time because white America was so Ward Cleaver. And, and Betty Page was over the edge. Forget the edge at that time. <laughs> she was over the edge, right? But you have a big hit with You're 16 and All By Myself, and then the songs that i'm talking about that you're referencing to kicking rockabilly boogie right yeah that's nasty man that's got some edge on it lonesome train on a lonesome tracks got that slapping bass sound man it's yeah. just kicking ass Dream. and then some other songs uh, the fuzz tone on honey hush on the great coral records label oh yeah and then you have oh baby babe which was super edgy for white culture at that time it was mild versus the blues lyrics and the double entendres that then, but there were still some pretty sweet sexual innuendos for that time period. The guitar is wicked. And then they do Tear It Up, which the Cramps do a smoking cover of. Come on, little baby, let's tear the dance floor up. Come on, little baby, let's tear the dance floor up. Come on, little mama, let me see you start your stuff. Tear it up. I'm a leaving little baby gonna be gone a long, long time. I'm a leaving little baby gonna be gone a long, long time. So come on, little baby, and show me a real good time. Tear it up, tear it up, tear it up, oh! tear it up, 
kind of uh, gives you a feel for what Johnny Burnett and his rock and roll trio were about. Sadly, it's August 14th, 1964, and his unlit fishing boat was struck by an unaware cabin cruiser out in the middle of the lake. It happens. you got to be safe on the water, man. The impact threw him off the boat, and he drowned. And before we move on, I really want to talk about the fact that Johnny was the front. But the guy who really was the guitarist, who really is the guy who should be recognized for his contributions to the Ravers, is his guitarist in the rock and roll trio, Paul Burleson. Go back and listen to those songs we just mentioned. That version of Train Kept a Rolling, Rockabilly Boogie, Honey Hush, Tear It Up, all of them. And you're going to hear the guitar scream a little bit. And that is Paul Burleson, who passed away in 2003, by the way. Ray, do you know how they made that guitar sound? No, do pray tell, sir. They loosened a tube in his amp to get that fuzzy sound. Instead of pulling it out, they just did a little tweak of it by loosening it, kind of like how you loosen a light bulb a little bit. They just loosened the tube amp, and it pulled out a fuzzy sound. All right. I get the loosening the tube, yeah. but I never loosened a light bulb before, like kind of halfway to one. You're looking for a light show, man. Yeah. <laughs> it was, was this like early, like in the late 60s before you got to go to a light show? Yes. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Check. Do it yourself we at home, light shows. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Don't get me started. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, back in the 1950s when he was still on Sun Records, Elvis had his first big national record called I Forgot to Remember to Forget, and it starts to show a taste of what comes out on what was a huge hit, Mystery Train. Have you heard the song Mystery Train? I have, and I listened to it a couple times in the past few days as we were getting prepared for the show, and holy cow, that is not the Elvis that a lot of people really know from the 60s, 70s, and that. Train I ride, 16 coaches long. Train I ride. Well, that long black train got my baby and gone. Definitely not. And and here's the thing: either as a raver himself, or as an influencer from before all the ravers come into play, does Scotty Moore get some extra ups because he's the guitar player on Mystery Train, ladies and gentlemen? And I think it represented a move from the style of Chet Atkins, which was more prevalent in the beginning of rock and roll, more towards that rockabilly sound that we all love and which Elvis kind of filtered out. And Scotty Moore also claimed Sister Rosetta Tharp is one of his major influences as well. So he's mixing that sort of gospel bluesy sound with the rockabilly twang. And yes, 
It's beautiful. I'll have some more, please. Yes, indeed. You want me to do my train? Ooh, <laughs> I could do the train. <laughs> I love the Paul Butterfield version of that at the last waltz with Levon singing. Marcus, I want to share a sound with you and the audience. It may not sound just the way you're used to hearing it these days in the most popular form in which it is usually presented, but here it is. While we all may know the Sugar Hill Gang made popular at weddings over the last 30 years more <laughs> well, this is The Shadows. This is Apache. The Shadows featured Hank Marvin on guitar. That's his stage name, man. He was born Brian Robson Rankin in Newcastle on Tyne, Marcus. It's kind of wild that we've been talking about all these American ravers, and all of a sudden, boom, we're jumping over to the other side of the pond to talk about some British ravers. Now go back and listen to those early Cliff Richards records where The Shadows are the band, and you'll see what we're talking about about how their sound and about how Hank Marvin's sound really was influential in this whole thing. And, of course, later, Sugar Hill took it to a whole nother level as far as production and everything else. But dig into the music of the shadows, and I think you're going to find a lot of music that's going to surprise you that you know, aside from Apache, okay, <laughs> which was a big hit in 1960. Let's do a little time stamping for everybody who had it played at their wedding in the 90s. That's why Nana liked it. Like, you may not remember... The name of the song, but the song Sleepwalk is one of those songs that just stuck in my head and I hear it any time and I go, ooh, you know, like that. And they had a lot of things that were TV slash movie theme song-ish, if not flat out covers of theme songs. Things like Wonderful Land, though, or Atlantis, or Man of Mystery really stood up as songs. I am new to this band, so I am learning as we go, and Apache I had heard many times, but some of this other stuff, I was thrown into the fire, and it's pretty exciting because I did not know that Harry Webb was Cliff Richard, and he changed his name to be Go Solo. I did not know any of that. I remember Cliff Richard from the 70s rock that used to come out of the radio in Denver, but some of this stuff I really don't know, and I was listening to it, and I was blown away because it's really cool, but it's also got a British feel to it. Sir Cliff Richards is huge in the history of British rock and roll. Never really crossed over completely, except for with a few hits. The way that some American artists did well over there and didn't do as well at home. We've talked about that before, and that's a whole nother episode. And, and Cliff Richards, the best example of the reverse being true. Mm -hmm. But you can't avoid the influence, man, in so many ways, right? Look at how many albums The Shadows put out and... The, and how many records they played on that were hits for Cliff, too? I know. 
I mean, I'm just looking through. I've been looking through his discography and his singles discography. And it's just mind blowing how many songs that are associated with him and with the shadows. Yeah. Really? And because I think jumping into it, we had talked about, you know, all these American ravers. And then all of a sudden, the shadows, I'm like, whoa, this takes it to a whole new level. And they were kids, too, man, because he's only turning 81 this October. Oh, man. Crazy, man. Oh, yeah. Just kids playing rock and roll, having way too much fun. Hank Marvin and the Shadows, all part of this episode about the ravers of rock and roll. You know, Marcus, this time of year, I wear shoes less. I wear socks less. But what I've been putting on socks lately, it's the boldfoot socks that we got that I've been wearing the most. I love my boldfoot socks. I've been wearing the headliner royal blue and gold athletic sock when I've been riding my bike or taking a spin class. They're great. My feet aren't all gnarly afterwards. My feet feel good. They're not over sweaty. There's no extra moisture. They do a really good job keeping my feet as fresh as can be after doing a good hard spin or a nice long ride. Love them. And thanks to the gang at Boldfoot for offering a Father's Day special. 25% off the entire store now through Father's Day at boldfoot.com. Put in the code DAD25 to save 25%. Pretty good deal. And a good way to get Dad's feet into a pair of Boldfoot socks. Also, 5% of all profits go to the organization Team Foster, which helps get veterans service dogs. And this is a wonderful charity that Boldfoot is working with. Veteran-owned and operated, so naturally they're supporting a veteran's cause like this. Slide on over to boldfoot.com right now between now and Father's Day to save 25%. Put in that code DAD25 at boldfoot.com. Look, they're your feet. Be bold. Thirst. It's a need, Marcus. You need to satisfy a real thirst. And what a better way than with a nice, fresh craft beer at Crooked Eye in the heart of Hatboro. And you can also visit Jamie's House of Music in Delco to get that very fresh and tasty Crooked Eye beer. Their music schedule's picked up at Jamie's House of Music. I follow them on Facebook, so you see a lot more shows going on there. And anytime they're open for shows, you can get your Crooked Eye there, get a growler, and take some home. Or you can head to Hatboro, and their schedule's picked up a lot, too. And my vinyl night is moving to its permanent home the second Tuesday of the month. Come and see us. Bring your vinyl if you want, or I'll bring mine. You can't forget that Friday nights from 4 to 11, there's live music over at Crooked Eye and open mic night the first, third, and fifth Mondays of the month. First, third, fifth. I can't do math when I'm drinking at Crooked Eye. Well, the brews are cold and they're always fresh, always the favorites and something new on the board there at the brewery location in Hapro. Serving the cure for what ails you since 2014, we thank them for their support of the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll podcast. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. 
Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. We're back, banging and twanging on the imbalance history of rock and roll. And, man, let's jump into this because we still have some of the finest artists and some of the biggest impacting artists of this era to talk about. He was born in Corning, New York, Marcus, but it couldn't hold him. You know, he had to get out there and see the world because he had rock and roll in him and so much more. I'm talking about the great Dwayne Eddy still with us and kicking at age 83. We keep talking about twanging, Marcus. Well, he had an album called Have Twangy Guitar Will Travel, you know? Mm-hmm. And a million dollars worth of twang. That was another album of his. Dwayne Eddy, who certainly made some rumbling sounds. And the question I had after listening to his version and listening to Link Ray is, is Rumble really his song? But that's maybe a question we can get to. <laughs> but... He also had a film career, which I want to talk about, but songs, man. He had such great songs. Ramrod, Rebel Rouser, you know, things like that. Cannonball, another one that I got to hear as we were preparing for this. And one thing that I noticed about these songs is they're all like a minute and a half to two and a half minutes long, and they just pack a punch the whole way through. First time I heard Dwayne Eddy was Peter Gunn theme, and I was really impressed. The sounds, the groove, it's one of those songs that really kind of moved me as a young one. He took Hollywood's idea and made it rock and roll. Raunchy, right? Very raunchy. And he had a really nice career as a recording artist. Had hits and everything. uh, Worked through all his popular years. Had a very close association, by the way, with Lee Hazelwood, who produced some of his records when Lee was still a DJ. They kind of hooked up and kind of did some work where he was playing the record. You know how things were back in those days, man. But he didn't stop when, you know, other people either retired or passed on way too young. 
he kept going and doing stuff and working all through the 60s, 70s, and 80s, doing all kinds of recording and session work and playing with other people and producing album projects. So he was a busy guy all his life. And uh, finally, I think he just said, hey, you know, <laughs> I'm doing an 80th birthday tour, which he did back <laughs> four years ago. Maybe he figures that's enough. The pandemic arrived after that, and I'm glad he's still with us. The great Dwayne Eddy. Now, his film career, Marcus, have you checked this out? I was looking over his film appearances, and he did some pretty impressive movies. The Savage Seven. Yeah, Kona but he started Coast. in 1960 while he was still a pop star, right? Yeah. With Dick Clark in the movie. The movie was called Because They're Young, and it starred Dick Clark and a young Tuesday Weld, plus Dwayne and James Darren as themselves, who were both pretty young then, too. I thought that was cool. Oh, yeah. I got to see a few clips of that on YouTube, and I'm going to definitely watch the movie now. Well, you're a better man than I am. 1961, A Thunder of Drums. George Hamilton and Richard Chamberlain are amongst the stars, and he's in there next to Slim Pickens playing Trooper Eddie. Get it? <laughs> Also in the film, Charles Bronson. A young Charlie B. Yeah. And the next year, 1962, he's in a movie called The Wild Westerners, third on the bill, man, as Deputy Marshal Clint Fallon. <laughs> and then a few years off, and the Savage Seven you mentioned in 1968, he's Eddie, E-D-D-Y, as Eddie, E-D-D-I-E, -E, Marshall. Oh. Nice little film career, right? Plus all the other TV stuff that he got to do, because that was part of the package early on when he was in the early initial stage of his music career. I'm surprised in his later years he didn't do more film work because he stopped doing the film appearances in 1968, and he obviously could do it with all of his skills and his talent. I'm curious as to why not. It's one of those questions that'll have to remain unanswered for now. But if anybody knows or anybody has contact with Mr. Dwayne Eddy, we would love to talk to him or know what he's up to and how he's doing these days and why he stopped working. Maybe it was just enough, dude. Inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1994. He belongs there and we're glad to see that he has his spot. Also, in 2000, and you're going to love this, he was given the title of Titan of twang by the mayor of nashville at the ryman auditorium see crossover man rock and roll mm -hmm. and country you put that twang in there and anything can happen in the world that's all i'm saying Dwayne eddy on the imbalanced history of rock and roll i want to talk to you about a song marcus that epitomizes everything we're talking about this week and i always knew the song but didn't know Jack Scott did the way I walk. The way I walk is just the way I walk. The way I talk is just the way I talk. The way I smile is just the way I smile. Touch me, baby, and I'll go hog wild. The way I love is just the way I love. Come on and be my little turtle dove. Touch me, baby. So good. I feel as though I wanna, then I don't know if I should. Come blossom. Just a little more. That's about right. Now. 
song, The Way I Walk, is so important because of the rockabilly hiccup in the vocals, the way the guitar grooves, the way the song makes you move. The Cramps do an absolutely incredible cover of The Way I Walk, and I just get all giddy when I hear that song because it makes me feel good inside and out. All right, I want to know if this happens to you. When it comes on, no matter what version of it is, you sing along, right? Because you love to sing along. I hear you when we're in the studio together. Uh, but <laughs> Off but you feel singing that song along with them or the cramps makes you feel like you can sing, right? Because the way I walk is just yeah. the way I walk. Anybody can kind of ham and egg their way through it, right? Absolutely. When you have that hiccup, it gives <laughs> you that confidence that you can actually sing no matter how far off key you are. Are, you still have the confidence to sing when you get that rock and billy hiccup. Jack had a bunch of hits from 1957 through the early mid 60s and uh you know, I think as far as Canadian ravers go, he may be the king of the Canadian ravers. He, they call him the greatest Canadian rock and roll singer of all time. Somebody called him that. I don't know about that. But he is one of the fine singers. Born in Windsor, Ontario. Uh, we lost him a couple years ago in 2019 at age 83. A full, fruitful rock and roll life. Thanks, Jack Scott, for that one and so many more. Not only did Jack Scott and the Shantones have that rockabilly rebel sound, but he was also able to do a little bit of more mainstream music as well. So he kind of jumped back and forth over his career. So we got to thank him for the way I walk at the very least. Speaking of that rockabilly hiccup and the hip shake, that's pretty much what Gene Vincent was known for. Born Vincent Eugene Craddock, first off, he flipped his names, right? Eugene was his middle name, so he became Gene Vincent. But man, he missed the opportunity to be Crash Craddock early, right? He could have <laughs> been the Crash Craddock before there was a Crash Craddock. He died too young at age 36, and I always thought he was one of the rock and rollers who was a victim of a car crash. But I was wrong about that when I started looking into it. He had a ruptured ulcer and a hemorrhage and heart failure, all too young at age 36. And it really kind of like surprised me to find that out. Yeah, his body completely shut down on him. Wow, and yeah. that's hardcore. So something was seriously wrong, and that breaks my heart. I loved his hiccup, and Bebop Alula was a song that was sung in our house all the time. My mom and dad used to sing that to my little sister. And so that song was always in our house. In fact, I have to go look through my 78s. I may have that on the 78. Like so many American rock and rollers, though, other than Bebapalula, for the most part, he struggled here in the U.S., but did much better in England, like a whole crop of rock and rollers that we talked about who basically had statues in England and were hardly known here at home. He was definitely in that group of artists who deserved more love than they got, man. 
But his influence on the rebels and the punks in the 60s and the 70s and the people that were not thrilled with hippie culture and wanted their own type of style and freedom looked to people like Gene Vincent. And when you're listening to Gene Vincent, you're listening to Cliff Gallup on lead guitar on almost all those records, especially Bebop Alula. And I uh, heard from Heffy, he said, make sure you tell him about Cliff Gallup if you're going to talk about the Ravers and the Rockers. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Hefe. Guy knows his music, man. And he loves his rockabilly, and you're going to find out about that, folks. So, we've been talking for a while. Some names people know, some names they don't. And in the case of our next raver, it's a name you may know, you probably know, but you would have known a whole lot more of Eddie Cochran. He didn't die tragically in an auto accident when he was in England, right? I know. What he had done by the age of 21 was gigantic. Along the lines of what Buddy Holly did in his short life, Eddie Cochran made a huge impact on rock and roll, and I think we would have seen some incredible things out of this cat had he been around for many more years. The strange coincidence in Eddie Cochran's death is that they were driving to London in one of those big cabs, right? Mm-hmm. Gene Vincent was in the car with him. So was Sharon Sheely, a 20-year-old songwriter who was also Cochran's fiance. Patrick Tompkins, the tour manager. And the taxi driver, George Martin. No, not that George Martin. And they were driving. He lost control of the car, crashed into a concrete lamppost in Chippenham. And they say it impacted. Cochran, who was sitting in the back seat, threw himself over Sheely to shield her from the force, and that's what killed him. He was ejected from the vehicle, big-time brain trauma. Eddie Cochran gone way too young, man. In Bath, England, too, yeah. where it happened. And with songs like Summertime Blues, Come On Everybody, Something Else, songs that I got to listen to as a young kid because they were popular in my family, and then the Sex Pistols, of course, in the great rock and roll swindle, do a little Come On Everybody and Something Else. And Yeah, but the songs that he put out there would have continued to grow. His popularity would have continued. Maybe the Pistols don't even want to play those songs by then because he would have been part of what they were rebelling against you know but look at the influence with summertime blues and the version that the who does on live at leeds really is what put eddie cochran on the dashboard of a lot of people of my age group because we're like well who's this guy and that's what made me go find the very best of eddie cochran that uh, was put out on united artists in the 70s i found that and it's got all those songs in it man come on everybody something else i just love the way he stops and smirks right before he says hey there's something else you know just (laughs) come on Cut Across Shorty, which he didn't write, but the Rod Stewart version was more well-known later, and Nervous Breakdown, all these are great songs. And a lot of people don't realize, and I guess that's why I got confused about Gene Vincent dying, because he was in the cab. It crashed. It took the life of young Eddie Cochran, just age 21. Think about what he might have done. Like Buddy, right? Well, we've been raving about ravers, and we're round to a guy that everybody said, you gotta do an episode about Link Ray. Well, it led to all of this. The thing about Link Ray is he lived a long life. By living to be age 76, he became the elder statesman for everything that twanged. 
except for Dickie Dale, he was they were together really were the guys who really made a name for that sound, that that really super early reverb sound that you know that it's 1961, two, three, right, man? When we talk about you know what era it is sometimes when you hear it. But Fred Lincoln Ray Jr., he just kept going and going and going his whole life. He never stopped and kept promoting the music and playing the music. And that's one of the things that I think that makes him one of the biggest and most popular names in this genre or subgenre of rock and roll we're talking about. Passed away at age 76 in 2005, the great Link Ray. Poison Ivy gives Link a whole lot of love in many of their songs. You can hear her giving him a little wink or a nod when she plays some of the riffs she plays. It's so widespread, it, you can't just put one little pin in the map on it. Down to and including the Better Call Saul music theme, mm-hmm. right? It's that wide body electric with a whammy bar and bent notes and lean into it. He influenced so many people to pick up a guitar because he was there playing ramble at clubs and they're sitting there with their jaws on the floor. And I'm sure Ivy was one of the people, but so many Comanche alone got people going, what the fuck is this? Because we hadn't heard it maybe when it first came out. Mm-hmm. We were too young walking with Link. He did a song called Raw Hype, not the TV theme. And another song that was real popular, Go Back and Listen to Right Turn. All of these songs are incredible riffs that influenced generations, not one, but generations to play this kind of music. Oh, yeah. Pete Townsend even said in an interview, if it had not been for Link Ray and Rumble, he would have never picked up a guitar. Jimmy Page described Link Ray as a real rebel with a real rebel attitude. And so he influenced everybody up and down the board, like you say. And it's cool to hear about these guitarists like Jimmy Page and Pete Townsend, who we grew up so fondly admiring for their work, pay tribute to the people that excited them when they were young and that influenced them, that made them want to do what they were doing. And I love hearing about that. It's how we connected from what came before to what we grew up on to what came next and all the other branches that this tree takes. A lot of it comes through this group of players and affects a lot, Mm -hmm. a lot of people. So, have you twanged enough for one day, my man? A few of these guys we definitely need to dig into a little bit more at some point down the line. But it's always fun talking about these cats. Yeah. Their influence, their music. Just talking about their music is exciting because their music is exciting. You know, the real surprising thing is how much we love all the music we've been talking about on this episode is that it took us this long to get here, man. But we're here we are. <laughs> well, me, I'm just going to go play some Eddie Cochran records and uh, have some lunch and say thanks as always, brother, for putting together a great time here at the Dark Doc Studios. Another episode of the podcast in the books, and you can find all of them at imbalancedhistory.com. I always tell people just Google imbalanced history because I did it one day, Marcus. And I was like, holy shit, what? It's like all our stuff. <laughs> Somewhere down there was like a link to a Pantheon thing because we are a part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, which, by the way, has almost tripled in size since we joined up a couple of years. It's just really cool to be part of that and see all these different great music podcasts that you can find us there too, but you find them there too at pantheonpodcast.com. So 
Until the next time we get together, feel free to chime in anywhere you can find us and put your two cents in. I found out that I did not screw up the website, so folks can make comments on the episodes at the episode box there. So feel free to do that or any way you can get in touch with us, imbalancehistory at gmail.com. And until the next episode rears its ugly head, let's twang our way out of here, Marcus. I'm Ray Coop. I'm Marcus Goldman, y'all. And this is a twangy imbalanced history of rock and roll. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.